Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett and I'm your host. Simon Doonan has worked in fashion for almost four decades and was a creative ambassador at large for Barney's New York. He has also written several books and is currently a judge on the hit NBC show, Making It, with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. With his husband, Jonathan Adler, they have had two dogs, one named Liberace and the other named Foxy Lady. It brought them a sense of being a family and also learning how to look after someone else. Simon Doonan, what a pleasure to have you here in the studio today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we have known each other for, I don't know how many years. I think we met in like 80, 88, about 40 years. There was still graffiti on the subway. Yep. There were no cell phones. Exactly. Yeah. No, it was a great time. Totes. <laughs> so anyway, we have known each other for quite some time, and it's a thrill to have you here. You have some wonderful stories about your canine experiences. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a crummy town, <laughs> which is now quite jushy, actually, uh-huh. called Reading. Right. Just between Oxford and London. And that is where I grew up. I was born in 1952, the year after the coronation. Oh, wow. So, you know, I remember we all got these weird little dorky spoons, kids who were born around that time. Oh, interesting. Mm. And did you have dogs growing up? No, we didn't have dogs growing up. Sort of nobody did. Uh Uh-huh. Unless you lived in the country, you didn't have a dog. Their dogs were still thought of as very functional items. Right. And it was after the war. And, you know, if we'd had a dog, we'd probably roasted it and eaten it. There wasn't (laughs) much food. There was still rationing. It was England after the war was very different from America after the war. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I won't go into a dismal world. But I did have an incredible dog experience growing up, just serendipitously. Because my mom did a whole bunch of things. She had, like, any given time, three jobs. And one of her jobs was working as a temp. And she was working as a temp for a guy who had been a Russian prince. He was a white Russian prince. And they had left after the revolution, managed not to get killed. So this guy was called Prince Lakoff. And suddenly this woman turns up as another temp. Phyllis and my mom and her get on really well and Phyllis is blind she has a seeing eye dog called Lassie and my mother had was running a kind of rooming house we lived in a sort of rooming house we had my grandmother we had my uncle different people coming and going and she said to Phyllis you know if you need somewhere to live we've got an attic so Phyllis and her seeing eye dog when I was about I guess eight, nine came to live with us in that she lived in our windowless attic. And I said to my mum, there's no windows. And she said, it doesn't matter. She's blind. She won't care. Like she's glad to have somewhere to live. So um, Phyllis and her seeing eye dog Lassie moved in and became a huge part of my childhood. Wow. We used to lay by the fire with this dog, my sister and I pulling its ears until it would snap at us, you know, just loving it because it was this huge, gorgeous, golden Labrador, Lassie. They lived with us until I was like a teenager. I remember one time Phyllis was off to a funeral with Lassie. Right. And um, 
she came home and she was all messed up and there was like leaves in her hair and mud on her face. And my mother said, what happened? And she said, Lassie led me into the open grave, like it led her. She fell into the open grave at this funeral. And her and my mother just couldn't stop laughing. And that was my first encounter with black humor, I think. Um, Lassie died and that was a sort of unbelievably seismic experience because Lassie died and Phyllis, I said to my mum, where is she? And she said she's locked in her room and she barricaded herself in her room basically for days and you could hear her wailing. Oh boy. And it was my first encounter with grief on that level because wow. we had relatives die all the time and my mum would say oh by the way blah blah's dead right and we just carry on right exactly nothing another, oh, okay another bit fine of toast. yeah can i have another biscuit please <laughs> and um but then this was like this operatic <laughs> level of grief that i yeah. still remember to this day and when i think about pet bereavement how profound it is and i think about phyllis keening grieving for her dogs then she got another one and they're always very badly behaved when they get them and i think blind people have a lot of frustration at that point a new dog uncooperative you're helpless you can't see anything and there's this terrible window of learning sure them leading you into <laughs> into um oncoming traffic and stuff like that so growing up, you had Lassie in your life. And then as a young adult, you were living in London and then in Los Angeles. Yeah, I lived in Manchester. Okay. That's where I went to college. Then London for about four or five years. Yeah. And then I moved to LA. Yeah. I was about 25 and I was doing window display in London. And I met this guy and he said, oh, your windows are really sick and twisted. You should come work for me. So I went to live in L.A. when I was 25, just sort of on an impulse. Wow. Back then, young people didn't have dogs. Yeah. I don't know anybody young who had a dog. That would yeah. have been quite strange, because how would you have looked after it? And then vet bills. It was just... Now it's so great. Everyone who works for Jonathan, my husband, they all seem to have dogs. Yeah, it's definitely... It was, a, it was different back then. It was considered something you did when you retired right. or... When you got a country house or something, mm. or just one accidentally ended up on your front door. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I never even thought about it when I was that age. So, you no dogs, no great loves of your life until New York when you met Liberace. Yes. Jonathan Adler and I have been together 25 years, and a couple of years into our relationship, he was bleating endlessly. Oh, we have to get a dog. We have to get a dog. And I was like, who's going to look after it? You know, because I still had my kind of corporate round-the-clock right. Barney's job at that point. And then my schedule sort of modified a bit once I became creative director and I started writing books and I was in the office on a less rigid schedule. You weren't traveling as much. Yeah. And so we got a housekeeper. That's the honest truth. Me and Johnny got a housekeeper. So I thought, well, we could get one now because there'd be somebody to look after it. Yeah. Because I remember in LA, a friend of mine had a little house in Laurel Canyon and next door was this groovy swinging executive. And he decided he had to have a lab. And I thought, how bizarre, who's going to look after it? And that lab would bark from the minute the guy left in the morning Till the minute he came mm -hmm. home. And I thought, that is the cruelest, yes. most horrid thing. And no one was taking their dogs to work back then. Right, it was just there some were vanity, dog walkers. Vanity accessory. Yeah. I mean, have you encountered that? Like people 
wanting a dog and then just leaving it. Oh all yeah, day. absolutely. No, and sometimes you you hear of um, I mean people get thrown out of their apartments because of that and it's true. I mean more and more people have dog walkers now or they take them to doggy daycare. I mean it's definitely more set up, but for years people didn't really understand the idea that dogs, cats not so much, but dogs needed to be engaged with they needed to be active they couldn't just sit at home for 18 hours so yeah, it's they, changing they give so much yeah. dogs i'm not a very sentimental person but you look at dogs and you think they give everything yes and you're not gonna you're just gonna turn them on and off like there's the toaster right exactly i don't think so so anyway you and jonathan decided it was time to get a dog Yes, Jonathan and I decided time to get a dog and we went to a shelter on the North Fork near Greenport. Right. And we were channeling you. We kept saying, well, John Bartlett, John Bartlett this, John Bartlett that, because you'd already, even 25 years ago, become synonymous with dog rescue. So we went to this uh, shelter where there was like pit bull, pit bull, pit bull, pit bull. <laughs> I said, I think we need to keep looking. I, I don't know what, I don't understand that kind of dog. Right. You have to have the chemistry. Yeah, absolutely. That. So then Johnny's friend from college, um, her mother bred Norwich Terriers. And Johnny said, I want to find out about those Norwich Terriers. They're really cute. And the woman said, I have one that's supposed to have pointy ears and the ears are flopping. They're down. And if you're a breeder, apparently you just, when you hear that, you just leap through a plate glass window and end your life. You just can't believe that's happening. So this dog was considered a kind of, what the hell are we going to do with this dog? Right. So Johnny and I felt like we were kind of rescuing. I'm doing huge air quotes. Yes. Rescuing this dog. And um, we got it home. And the first thing I noticed was that it was following me everywhere. I went for a shower and I looked out through the shower curtain and there was this little orange (laughs) circle. And I thought, how great, little friend. I had to fight to name him Liberace. Because I thought, well, it's obvious he should be called Liberace. It's such a good name because it's like Libby, Lib, Archie. Yeah. And then the original, hello. Yes. And the funny thing was Liberace himself was a very tough, butch, stroppy little dog. So it was kind of going against type he was there was nothing nelly about right. him so yeah we got liberace and uh you remember liberace oh god of course i loved him what was your impression of him he uh well, he was a bit indifferent <laughs> he got that from me he did not like to be touched hello <laughs> like you yes the dna just leached into him but no, he was a great dog, and I remember you guys were with him. I mean, he was with you all the time. It was a wonderful relationship. So how did Liberace change your life? What, what was his effect on you? It definitely made me and Johnny feel like a family, because we've been together so long. We were together a long time before even the idea of gay marriage was popular. So right. A dog back then gave cohesion yes, to couples, absolutely. gay couples. Sure. You had a dog, so yeah. you are kind of a family. Yeah. Before you had any affirmation from society, you had your little four-legged, furry, stinky little friend. (laughs) Just shutting the fuck up and learning how to look after something else. Yes. You get very self-involved as a gay person with no kids, you know, self-obsessed. Me, my career, my this, my yes. that. And then I'd have to look at him and think, oh, there's something wrong with him. What's in his eye? Yeah. You know, why is his poop a funny color? And that's just Johnny. <laughs> 
Um, and so I think dogs help us unself. You know, I like, love that uh, idea, mm. that term. No, it's very true. It really is. And I know now when I get home from work and I have the three dogs waiting for me, I, anything that I was thinking about flies out of my mind because I'm just, they're there and I've become a six-year-old. So how long did you have Liberace? We had Liberace for 15 years, I wow, think. Wow, that's great. Yeah. What a gift. It was great. And he, he had lousy teeth mm-hmm. and he had funny bowels that would gurgle all of a sudden. And we'd hear them gurgling. We'd think, uh-oh, and like get him outside, <laughs> like an explosive digestive uh-huh. system that was intermittent. Like yeah. every few weeks, there'd be a sudden gurgling. Other than that, he was pretty healthy. So Liberace lived a good long life, and how did it feel when he passed? Well, I think I'm sort of emotionally stunted, <laughs> so it's from having such a strange childhood, probably, uh-huh. and being British, we're very emotionally stunted. So I um, was very invested in the idea that, okay, we'll have him put down, and his suffering will be over, yeah. because he he'd gotten canine dementia, no short-term memory, mm-hmm. staring at the wall, yeah, spinning in circles, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then the bowel situation was trajana. Yeah. It was terrible. So I thought, okay, I was very invested in the idea of putting him, putting him out of his misery. So we made the date, did it, vet came to the house. We both cried. And then I thought, now it's a relief. He's yes. at peace. And I made a sort of tactical mistake where I underestimated what impact it would have on me and for the next like nine months I was in a I was very depressed and people would say to me what's wrong with you like I had such a negative worldview and I'd gone into this black hole and I kept having to say yeah maybe it's because that little furry fella isn't around every day like he used to be so being English and being stunted emotionally, it took me a long time to figure that out, even though that sounds absolutely ridiculous and you would think you could connect the dots. I was being overly pragmatic and not understanding the emotional component of it, you know, which I should have because of what I'd seen growing up and other friends who'd lost pets. But I just was so horrified by his old age decay that I thought, ugh, poor love's better off out of it yeah well you did the right thing obviously but i don't think that we um can prepare for that kind of thing it really does it stays with us until it doesn't so how long was it after liberace's passing that you were ready to get another dog um i think we waited about 18 months okay and then i called the north shore animal league because i have a relationship with them yes they used to yeah please go ahead well at Barney's in the 90s, we went through this sort of messy bankruptcy, the first time, the bankruptcy, and we were getting a sort of lot of negative press. And I thought, we need to do something really warm and fuzzy and gorgeous. So I called up the North Shore Animal League. I think you hooked me up with Marge. Yes. And um, the North Shore Animal League, what we decided was we would do these pet adopt-a-thons in the windows at Madison Avenue, And we did it for three years running, and it was a huge success. And we got celebrities to come, and they would fondle the pets in the windows. Melania Trump came one time. (laughs) Put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is many years ago, (laughs) listeners. And um, 
what's her name Cosmo magazine famous editor Helen Gurley Brown Helen Gurley Brown yes oh and um, B.B. Newirth wow lots of celebs would yeah. show up and, and hang out in the window and um, so that worked great so thank you for that that mm. was a nice hook that was a wonderful event and we used to the trailer would park on 61st Street and I remember one year um, we adopted like 35 dogs and yeah. some cats yeah. too so it worked yes and um, the display people, they started bitching going into the fourth year, like cleaning up the poo and like spreading the astroturf in the window. So I thought maybe we had to try something new, but we could still have been doing yeah, it. Yeah. It was a nice event. So 18 months later, you were ready and thinking about a dog and you oh, called yes. the North Shore Animal League. I called the North Shore Animal League and I... I thought, I'm going to pull in my VIP status here since I've done these events with them. And they were really great. But I think they're really great to everyone. Right. I said, I'm looking for a 10-pounder. So I thought, I'm not getting any younger. Liberace was like 14 pounds. I want to go down. Yeah. And they said, come in on Friday. We have all these small dogs coming in from California. So this truckload of little mammals came in and uh, Johnny and I went to see them and it was a very memorable experience. There was like Pitbull, Pitbull, Pitbull and then all of a sudden this little jewel bright red foxy girl with cinnamon colored eyes mm. and a little pink snout this little, she looked like Kate Moss. She's just a natural beauty so pretty and uh, not that's why we adopted her but I guess we are luxist from being in the fashion and design world. We thought she's great and we got her out and played with her and her shelter name was Martha. And my mum's name was Martha and she oh loathed it so much. Yeah. She thought it was a very frumpy name. Yeah. It's also Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes. So Martha. And um, we're playing with Martha and this gay woman walks past. Super fun. I could tell she's a great Leah Delaria type. And she looked at Martha and she said, she's a foxy lady. We looked at each other and we're like, bingo. Yeah. And the only other name we were considering was Samantha Fox. <laughs> but foxy lady, yeah. Jimi Hendrix, it's kind of cool and groovy. And then they kept her for a week and they spayed her. Is that normal? The yeah. dog comes in? And yeah, they have, yeah, they have to be spayed or neutered before they leave, typically. And I guess she was newly arrived, so she hadn't been dealt with in that exactly. department. And I guess they have to find out if they're up the duff. Right. You know? Yeah, because many of them are. An English expression meaning pregnant. Meaning, yes. An English expression meaning with child. <laughs> um, so she wasn't up the duff. But we went to pick her up. And they put these little pink bows in her hair. And it looked so funny. I mean, can you imagine Kate Moss walking around with little pink bows on her head? It was just, I mean, from a stylist point of view, how many fashion shoots have you been on? Many. And how many times would you have torn the pink ribbons out? No, she's a natural beauty. She doesn't need them. It's Frankie Rader. It's... <laughs> It's, you know, Maria Carla. Yes. No pink ribbons in the hair because she's a natural beauty. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I wore the pink ribbons exactly. after that. It took a little while to get her used to our house. She had parasites. So there were some really unfortunate incidents on the goatskin rug. And um, I immediately saw that she had a different personality. Very coquettish. Loves to play. Loves to chew, thank God. Mm -hmm. Like I was buying her these organic ropes and... Because with Liberace, he must have had five teeth cleanings during his life. 
And I thought, I have to get her chewing, yes. chewing, chewing. And how long have you had Foxy Lady? We've had Foxy Lady for, I would say, four years now. Mm-hmm. And we're both in denial about the passage of time. As yes, of pet course. As wisely should be. She's, I guess, around five or six okay. now. And does she have a lot of toys and accessories and beds and lots of stuff? She does have a lot of stuff, and she has is incredibly appreciative. Her toys, tell me if this sounds like bullshit to you, but her toys are her friends. She, her relationship with them is really quite mental. Like if she comes back from a walk and they've been tidied away, where are they? Because mm-hmm. they're pack animals, I guess. Yeah. So, but Foxy can form a relationship with those miniature tennis balls. Those uh-huh. are her real loves of her life. Her ballies, if I say to her ballie, just to get them all together and think about them. So sweet. Yes. And so does she travel with you on the airplanes? Is she small enough? We don't travel as much as we used to, but she does. She's uh-huh. actually very cooperative. She comes out to eat with us. Yeah. Like I put her in the bag and she goes nice. right to sleep. She sort of got the memo that if she cooperates and just zonks out of the bag, she can basically come to Dover Street Cafe yeah, or exactly. Cafe Clooney. Yeah, So, Simon, you've been working on a lot of different things. Tell us about your most recent book. My most recent book is Drag, The Complete Story. It's hilarious and fabulous, but the real reason to buy it is because 100% of my proceeds benefit the Ali Forney Center, Mm -hmm. helping LGBTQ kids in Harlem. Yes. Yeah, and the history of drag going right back to ancient Rome. Which is a great book because it actually, I mean, it's very historical and intellectual and uh, informative. I mean, there's so much to be learned. And it comes right up to date. I mean, Violet Tchotchke is on the cover. Uh Uh-huh, yes. And then your television persona. Are you referring to my network blockbuster Emmy-nominated show on NBC? I think so, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a show called Making It, and Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman are the hosts. And we're right in the middle of season two on NBC. Yes. And it's the most fun experience. Dana Isom Johnson is my co-judge. And we judge these crafters. I have to learn to say crafting. And it's like, you know, um, a competition show for crafting. Yeah, which is brilliant. And it's a mega hit because there's no porn or violence in it. And people love it. They watch it with their kids. Yeah, which is great. It's like... um kind of the next generation of Project Runway without the models. Exactly. But it's still good glue guns and... Fire up your glue guns. Yeah. And Amy Poehler's whole idea is, you know, people need to put down their phones and, like, make gifts for each other and have fun and connect. And then on social media, where might we find you? Instagram, Simon Doonan, I think it is. Yeah. It's very straightforward. We can find you there, and that also talks about all of your different projects your books your tv shows films yes and we can see foxy lady on there too right yes foxy is a regular occurrence good simon what a pleasure to have you as always really fun and thank (laughs) you and we i see you intermittently it's never often enough it is never enough this has been very kumbaya nice to see you love you thank you big kiss love you Well, I've known Simon for years. It was lovely having a more in-depth conversation specifically about his dogs and discussing his experiences with both Liberace and Foxy Lady. I myself have memories of Simon being with each dog, and it was interesting to hear more about how exactly his life has changed as a result. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio. It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.